in your mind's eye, see yourself going to a funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlor or chapel, parking the car, and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing, the joy of having known that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk down to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly realize uh, you're face-to-face with yourself. This is your funeral three years from today. All these people have come to honor you to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. As you take a seat and wait for the service to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There will be four speakers. The first is from your family, immediate and also extended children, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, who have all traveled from all over the country to the tent. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of who you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession, and the fourth is from your church or some community organization where you served. Now think deeply. What? What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you have wanted them to remember? Look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? Now here's what I want to do, and I understand it's a very different way to start. I want to take a moment and actually practice this exercise where in your bulletin right there, you just take your pen and you write out what would you long for someone to say about you. That you would think with the end in mind and go, okay, what would I long for my friends, my coworkers, my family? What would I long for them to actually say about me and who I was? I'm going to give you the next few minutes just simply to take this moment and write it out. I know for many of you that wasn't long enough. And I'd encourage you to Continue what was you started. We're in a series called Rhythm, moving from surviving to thriving. In that little exercise, what you began to stumble upon is your personal definition for what it looks like to thrive. What's interesting is if I asked you before, just, you know, and we, we're in church, so we'd have church answers, but if I asked you before the exercise, what does it look like to thrive? We would name all kinds of circumstances or material things. But something shifted that when we begin to think about our last day, that we move from 
material to the immaterial. We move from things that feel so important, yet they, in the big scope of things, are insignificant to things that truly matter. Now, when we're talking about thriving, did you know God had a definition for thriving? Let me read it. Look at your list and see if his definition might not land too far from some of your definition. You can find it in Galatians 5, 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the, the overall product of what God in you produces is first and foremost love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Creator God, who made you and made me He says the thriving life can be listed in nine attributes. Nine things that I guarantee as you wrote, and this morning we had time and I realized I ran out of time so I don't have it, where we just asked and threw it around. They came up before we even talked about it. Nine things that at the core, when we begin to think about the end and we begin to strip away all the insignificant things and all the material stuff that we go, we make this our pursuit in life and thriving is like the circumstance. Thriving, when we started, and oftentimes it's like, hey, having the right mate and if I meet the right girl and maybe that's the reason you showed up here tonight you're like woohoo she's over there she doesn't know me yet but she's there and she's the right one and that's the reason I showed up to awakening woohoo you know or the right guy and like I'm gonna thrive when he finally clues up and grows up and finally is ready to take the plunge and commit I'm gonna thrive when I have the perfect job I'm gonna thrive when everything seems to work out right and intelligent it does I'm just surviving and God says thriving in fact you say thriving just in this little exercise isn't all those things are nice nothing's necessarily bad about it but at the heart of it you're created and I'm created to be a person filled and who extends love I mean, just as a dad, I long for my kids that they would say these nine things about me, that they look back on their dad. And honestly, for those of us who, if you didn't have a great relationship with your dad, you're like, yeah, I long for, if I'm going to be a dad or a mom, for my kids to say that about me because I want to tell that story. I long for my wife when she looks at the end of our lives and I'm definitely going to die before her, you know? Her grandma lived to 102, or her great-grandma, and mine don't live that long. (laughs) I want her to be able to say of her husband, her life mate, her best friend, he loved me well. He was faithful. 
He responded with gentleness and kindness. There was a peace about him. There's a patience in the midst of the hard times. There was self-control that kept us from all kinds of harm. And there was just an overriding sense of joy in our family. Come on now. The question tonight that we're asking is how do we move from surviving to thriving. How do we make God's definition of what it looks like to thrive a reality in our life? And we've been dancing around in this chapter in the Bible, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. And we've been talking about Jesus' last words to his disciples on how to thrive. And he gives us this incredibly powerful spiritual axiom. One that I think, when we, until we strip back that exercise, is a little bit counterintuitive. Here's the spiritual axiom Jesus gives us. Connectedness. Connectedness determines fruitfulness. Picture all throughout the the Bible for thriving is always a picture of bearing fruit. It goes all the way back to Genesis. It says, be fruitful and multiply. And when Israel was un... Uh, not thriving and say they were not bearing fruit. And then we see the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, connectedness, not, listen, not circumstance. Some of us have believed this mantra, to thrive in life, the circumstances of my life have to be just right. When circumstances are right, then I am fruitful, then I am thriving. And Jesus is going to flip the paradigm. Because, by the way, there's very few times when everything in your life, all the circumstances align just perfectly, right? Jesus says, Above and beyond circumstances. Connectedness. Your intimacy with the creator of the universe. Your relationship and how you relate to him is what will determine whether or not you thrive. As a pastor, I've gone through the highs and the lows with people. I've walked in the journeys of walking with people in this room, even that have had the joy of getting to be their pastor and marry them off, and I've done my fair share of funerals. And I've watched people go through hellish experiences and thrive. And I've watched people go through and have everything at their fingertips and just barely survive. I've watched people go through hellish experiences and not survive as well. But what's the difference? There's a gal in our church. Her name's Darla Hatcher. She's a mom of four, a wife, a nurse. And I asked if I could share her story, and she wrote this for me. Let me read it to you. In April 2013, I started having back pain. I went to the chiropractor for about a month, but I had no improvement. So I went to my regular doctor who prescribed muscle relaxers and physical therapy. 
I didn't really want to go through the physical therapy because my back pain was getting too severe, so I went to another doctor, a back specialist. He had me get an MRI on Friday, May 31st, and by Monday, June 3rd, I got my diagnosis. There were lesions on my liver and on my spine, and they were most likely cancer. That's where the battle begins. Many tears were shed with my family at the time, but the Lord let me know right away that this, uh, that this was a battle and he would never leave me alone in this battle and that I was to keep my eyes on him. After a liver biopsy and a colonoscopy, it was determined that I had cancer of the colon that had spread to the liver and spine. I don't think I ever cried so much, crying from pain, crying from sadness, but definitely crying out to Jesus. In addition to the prayer and support from Tom and my daughters, the Lord put the names of four women on my heart, and I was to call them and ask them for their support during the journey. They were more than willing to come with me on this journey. One of my friends shared something with me that I'll never forget. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of the Lord. My friends would pray that God's presence would consume my days and fill my heart. Through the pain of the surgery and recovery, the chemotherapy, I have felt the Lord's presence. There have been many high and low times. Times of believing, times of doubting during the last eight months. I received lots of prayer, lots of text messages and emails with encouragement and scripture. I took screenshots of them and then late at night or early mornings when I was feeling discouraged, I could scroll through my photos, read specific verses and be filled with God's word and his presence. One of my favorite verses is Romans 15, 13. May the Lord and the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I really want to bring glory to God through all this. I want people to see Jesus because of my trial. Having joy, true joy, is the way I feel I can bring glory to Jesus. I, I don't want anyone to think I have it all together. Every day is a struggle. But I'm able to endure because I know God is bigger and greater than any medical report, any suffering, any cancer. He prepares me spiritually and emotionally daily. I don't want to just get through this. I want to be used. I want to be changed. I want to be more like him. And she gives a word if you're here struggling. If anyone is struggling to hang on, I would say to them, stay close to the shepherd. Lean into Jesus. Cry out to him. Listen to him. He is faithful and trustworthy. How do you move from surviving to thriving? The spiritual axiom that Darla, in the darkest moments of her life, she understands and has experience, and it doesn't mean it's easy. And I've been over to their house, and Tony and Jay and I have sat and prayed with them and seen her frail and feeble and not sure if she's going to make it and had hard conversations and wrestling, and we've prayed. But in the midst of all that, we saw this enduring hope and a peace. See, circumstances. Circumstances don't determine fruitfulness. What Jesus is going to say, connectedness, determines fruitfulness. 
Listen to how Jesus says it. If you've got your Bibles, open up to John 15, verse 5. If not, it's in your notes. He says it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. We're going to unpack that in a second. But in that one line is why many of us in this room aren't experiencing the life we're designed to experience in Christ. Because we mix up our roles and we go, I'm the vine. We live as if we're the center of the universe and Jesus is the branch. And we'll just plug a little bit of Jesus into our life. And he says, that's completely backwards. I am the vine. You are the branches. Now here it is. If you remain in me. Remain. Circle that word remain. We'll get back to it. Is is the word meno in Greek. It, it means to remain or other translations say abide. It's literally to make your dwelling place, to make your home, to put up permanent residence. If you remain to make me your permanent dwelling place, and I in you, here's the promise, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You'll notice another if statement. And just circle there. You see three ifs. I broke it down uh, uh, structurally there for you. You can see it. These ifs are third-class condition clauses saying there's a choice. You have a choice in how you're going to engage in a relationship. The choice is whether you'll stay connected or not connected. It's not a reality of whether you know Jesus or not. It's how deeply you're going to stay connected. Notice what he says next. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch. You're like a branch that is, um, that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, now we all get the imagery when it's right here in front of us and, and we realize the reality is, is how useful is this branch that I just cut off of my beautiful brand new um, avocado tree? Will this branch ever bear avocados? It's not a trick question. Help me out. Why? Because it's Disconnected. think about this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. There's lots of argument about what all this means, and he's talking to his disciples. I don't believe he's talking about losing your salvation. He's talking to his disciples who know him. Last words to the eleven. He's making a clear point that the fruitfulness of your life is solely dependent on staying connected, and if you're not, here, here's all it is. This It's just useless at this point. Eventually it will wither and die. And some of us are there. We're going through the motions and we're not connected to Jesus. And we have everything in our lives circumstantially going right. And yet inside we're withering and dying. That's what Jesus is saying. Another if. If you remain in me and my words, he's like, how, how do you remain? How do you stay connected? If my words remain in you, that you would say, I'm going to come under the authority of God. I'm no longer going to treat his words like nice suggestions, but they are necessary for life. Isn't it funny how we can read what he says and we'll take commands as if they're just like, yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really like that one. Ah, 
That one seems kind of hard, but I like it. Let's just adjust that one. He says, if my words remain in you, if you'll actually take seriously what he says in these pages, and you say, I'm going to sink deeply into the word of God. I'm going to allow it to transform me. In fact, that's, that's what Romans 12, 2 says, right? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't be molded to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed. You want to be transformed? You want to be changed? He says it begins from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. And when you do it, he says, then your life will test and approve what God's will is. Then you'll be able to approve and see that God's will is perfect and pleasing and acceptable. You say, you know what, God, I'm going to sink deeply into you, into your words, and this is going to be my guide for life. You said it is a lamp unto my feet, and I'm going to start using it that way. He says, when you live that way, when you come under the authority, when you sink deeply into relationship with him, he says this, ask whatever you wish. Blanket, blank check statement. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. When you live in such a deep abiding, now here's the picture. Think about this. I was explaining it to our band and different people earlier as we're praying. When, when my kids are in tune with my heart, and they ask for things they need, or they ask for things, and I, and I see, and I long, I'm not going to withhold it from them. I'm their dad. I'm so excited. I'm like, yeah, man, you're, you know me. I can't wait to give that to you. You know what Jesus says? Because he gives this picture on the Sermon Mount of how much more does your heavenly Father long to give you good things. And it talks about this relationship with God where you get to know him, you get to know his heart, and that whole I, reality of prayer, and you bringing your heart and your life before him of knowing and being known. And then it says this, verse 8, I love this. This is to my Father's glory. Think about this. You know what brings God glory, and that's why you're put on this planet, by the way? I I hope you know that. Not so you can just have everything great. You're put on this planet to bring the Father glory that your life might reveal to the world that he is amazing. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This brings me honor. This magnifies me. You want to glorify God. He says, stay deeply connected to me, and I'm going to do some things in you where everyone else gets to see it, because that's what fruit is. Fruit is the outward thing that everyone else can see and enjoy. It's signs of a healthy plant, but it's also beneficial to those around. Spiritual axiom Jesus teaches us here. Connectedness determines fruitfulness. Connectedness, not circumstances, determine the fruitfulness of your life. Determine whether or not you'll thrive, whether or not I'll thrive. So, how do we move from surviving to thriving? Uh, There's a few observations in this text I'd like to unpack 
The first one, moving from surviving to thriving, begins by ordering your life with God. Take that intro line that we just talked about. I am the vine, you are the branch. Would you just put a little squiggly mark under it? And then you'll see in my notes what I did here is I just drew arrows down to the points because I'm real visual and it helps me make these connections to these points. Draw an arrow from that all the way down uh, to begins by ordering your life with God. Where you recognize and acknowledge I am not the vine. I am not the center of life. Life does not revolve around me. Jesus is the centerpiece of all of history. He's the centerpiece of the universe. In him, he holds all things together. And he should be the center of our life. And where instead, where's my piece, of us saying, you know, okay, yeah, well, here, let me, let me do it this way. We often approach life this way. We're the vine, and you know what? I got a little work here attached to me, and I got, I'm a dad, so I got my kids, and I got my wife, and then I got a little Jesus over here, right? And, and we wonder why it doesn't work. You wonder why you're just kind of eking through and you feel like you're going through the motions and you're just kind of faking it when you show up here. And you're like, why don't I get into worship? Why am I not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit? Why? And he's going, because what you're saying is, Jesus, you're only a part of me. I just want a little piece of you. And Jesus says, I don't want a piece, a little piece of you. I want all of you. We, we say this sometimes, don't we? I, I don't know. I've heard it said, and I'll probably say it. Uh, make, make Jesus number one in your life. It's a nice thing. It's a nice thing to say. It's wrong, but it's nice. Uh, you know, just make Jesus number one. I mean, put him, put him first. Put him first. And you're like, yeah, I mean, something about that sounds so good, doesn't it? But then when I kind of think about it with my wife, and I said, Jenny, you're my number one wife. You're my first wife. Huh? Does she, does she feel real good? Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. He wants to be your life. And for that to happen, it begins by ordering your life with God. And asking the question, is there any part of my life that is disconnected from Jesus? Is there any part of my life that is disconnected from God? And you just begin to go through every single area of your life and you submit it to God. And you go, okay, you know what? Maybe it's my friend's. You start there. Yeah, okay. How about your finances? Ooh, that's a little touchy. But your finances, God, do you have my finances? Do I trust them with you? What about your family? What about your future? What about your school and your work? What about, what about that private life? Yeah, yeah, the secret part that no one else sees that you hope that you can keep hidden, that you just go, it doesn't hurt anyone except it's killing you. 
And you'll never thrive until you submit that and you need to go, God, whatever you tell me in this arena, in that porn addiction, that gossip deal, that, whatever you tell me, whatever you show me, I'll do. And you take every arena of your life and you say, I'm, it's all yours. It's all yours. Now, that's kind of scary, I think. But let me just say this. The alternative isn't working for you. And if Jesus is who he said he is, if he died on the cross for you, if that's really true, if he rose again on the third day, if he is God incarnate, if he really does hold the universe together, if he really loves you that much, is the most easiest and obvious decision of your life. Moving from surviving to thriving begins by ordering your life with God. Second, you just need to know is fruitfulness, thriving, is a process, not a pill. It's a process. It takes time. It's not instantaneous. We live in the world of instant. We live in the world of now. I mean, if, if our phones take too long to load, we just shut it down because it's like, whatever, right? Want it now. I mean, even, even, even the way we do kind of weight loss, we want it in a pill form and want it to make us lose 30 pounds in three days. Right? I mean, we live in the world where we want massive change overnight, and we do that with Jesus, and we do that with Christianity, and we go, you know what? And we kind of look for the magic pill. If I take this, then everything will change. And I'll wake up tomorrow, and Whoa! right? And I take this pill, Whoa! you know? And, and that's how we treat Jesus, and that's how we treat thriving. And, and we think all of a sudden, in one day, everything changes. Notice what it says. It says, if you remain in me and I in you, now just box this, this phrase, you will bear much fruit. Box that phrase, draw a line down to its process. It's a pill. First of all, notice, you will. Future tense. Future tense. Not, hey, I make this decision, oh God, I'm going to order my life with you, and then all of a sudden tomorrow I'm going to go, I'm amazed. Where'd that S come from? That's incredible. Superman, superwoman. It says you will. It's a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen instantaneous. I bought this, this avocado um, tree, which I'm really excited about last week. And I'm really, really bummed that there's no avocados yet. You know? I'm like, what the heck, man? It's been a week. I mean, like a whole, I mean, it's been seven days. And nothing. Look at this. What a lazy plant. What a good for nothing piece of junk. You laugh, but that's what we do with Jesus, that's what we do with our spiritual life. And we go, you know what, I'll, I'll try it for a day, I'll try it for two. Fruit takes time. Fruit is a process. Thriving isn't instantaneous. 
you are being made daily into the man or woman you're created to be. You are not made in a day. When I was uh, in seventh or eighth grade, if you've been around, you've heard this story. I, I understood this picture clearly. I, was, I don't remember if it was seventh or eighth grade, but my dad took me to a gym, Gold's Gym. Anybody ever gone to Gold's Gym? Yeah? I don't know if it's this way now, but back then it was only for like, like serious bodybuilders. Like, yeah, it's still that way. I mean, you go in there and everyone's got like the cutoff and they're all wearing hot colors like Miami Vice, like, you know... No? Okay, maybe not. Maybe not anymore. Um, my, my dad takes me in here, and I'm, you know, this scrawny 7th, 8th grader, and we, we show up uh, and get down to the bench press, which, I mean, honestly, as a 7th grader, I thought that was, or 8th grader, I thought that was the coolest thing. I'm, I'm in this gym, like, look at you. Yeah, look right here. I, um, and, and so you get on the bench press, and he puts like, you know, 15, 25 pounds on either side, and I'm doing it, I'm repping it, I'm like, yeah, what's up, you know? And then my dad goes and gets the 45s, you know? And he, and he puts those on, on either side, and, and then he kind of lifts it over me, and I'm kind of looking at it, I'm like, Dad, you sure? I mean, you're my dad, I trust you, but I don't, I don't know about this. And then he lets go, and... And I tried with all my might to hold it straight, and it just went like this, boom, right? I think my chest cracked a little bit. And and my dad goes, hey, son, lift the weight. And I'm just underneath this weight that for me as a seventh acre, now I could lift it no problem, obviously. Um, (laughs) Whatever. Probably not. I'm just like shaking, trembling. My face is red. And, I'm like, and my dad's like standing over me. Come on, son, lift it. And I'm like, I'm trying, you know, and like veins are busting out of my neck. And I'm trying. He's like, try harder. And I'm like, I'm trying. Oh! And it's not moving at all. And he lifts it up, and we sit on the bench. And he looks at me, and he says, Son, how come you couldn't lift the weight? I'm like, Dad, it was too heavy. He's like, did you try? I'm like, Dad, I tried as hard as I could. He's like, you want to try again? No, no, I do not want to try again right now. I'm good. Where is this lesson going? Hurry it up. And is there a milkshake at the end? <laughs> And then he says this, son, if you took the next six weeks for three days here and you began to lift lower weights, do you think in six weeks from now you could lift that weight? I'm like, yeah. And then he made a parallel to my life at that time that went way over my head as a seventh grader. Now it's helpful. That's the difference between training and trying. Far too many of us in the Christian life are trying. And we're going, that's what it looks like to thrive. And so we just kind of take the full weight on and we go, I can't quit. The invitation is go into training. Fruit is a process. So as a result, would you go into training? Set a daily rhythm to be 
Jesus. Moving from surviving to thriving. Order your life with God. Embrace that you're in process with God. That is not overnight. And so as a result, you're going to stop trying hard and just hitting the same cycles in your life. You say, today, today I'm going to make a decision. Today is going to be different. Today in this moment is going to be a life-changing decision-making time. Because for the first time, I'm not going to try Christianity. I'm going to train. I'm going to get step into a rhythm with Jesus and go, okay, God, I'm in. Would you do that? Would you make that decision? It will change your life forever, and you will not regret it. I promise you this. Would you set a daily rhythm to be with Jesus? One person, I don't know who said this, he said, the secret of your future is found in your daily routine. You you, want to see where you'll land up, where you'll end up? Look at what you're doing daily, the rhythms of your life now, because that is what is making you. That's why if you circled it, I mean, go back to the text. If you remain, if you do not remain, if you remain, in my words, remain in you. I don't know, but I think Jesus was trying to make a point. I don't know. I don't know. In fact, here's just a great little Bible study skill. Anytime you see a word repeated, circle it. God's trying to make a point there, and you go, okay, God, what are you trying to say? Would you set a daily rhythm with Jesus? On the back side of your notes, you have, um, this isn't my notes, this is the Bible, okay. On the back side of your notes, you have just some, some helpful ways to do that. It's in the missional community content there uh, of just, okay, how can you get in? You just go, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to set a rhythm. That means that you have to mark out a time, and you hold that time like you would hold any other time. If you're going to go out to coffee with a friend, you set a time, you put it on your calendar, and you go, I'm going to be there. And if anybody says, hey, are, you want to come do this? No, I'm meeting my friend. I've carved out a time to be, and you need to do that with God. You say, this time, it's yours. Every day. Every day. This time. And it's on your calendar. For those of us who are calendar people, who like to be organized, for those of you who don't, aren't calendar people, I, I wasn't before, and I just had a, a, this is what I started in college. Before I do any homework, I'm going to spend time with God. And then I shifted it when I moved into the workplace. Before I start my work, I'm going to spend time with God. And you need to put it in, and you need to keep it. And it's going to be hard. It is. It's not going to be easy. It's that training process at the beginning. You're like, oh, man, this is really hard. And what you need to do is, what you need to understand is do not underestimate incremental growth. See, we get discouraged along the way because we don't see all the immediate response. But I look at this tree. I'm so excited about it. The little growth, and I know that as it keeps growing, as I keep nurturing it, I'm going to get avocados, and I will make guacamole for you because that is amazing. I love me some guac. I do, whatever. It will not happen unless you schedule it 
in. I mean, just say 20 minutes. Maybe it's the prayer in our three by five challenge where you just start every day and you go, God, God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? And you just begin, that's my anthem for the day. That's my prayer for the day. And then you begin to get in his word. And you got some help there on the back. Moving from surviving to thriving begins by ordering your life, embracing it's a process, not a pill. You have to set a daily rhythm with Jesus. And then finally, and this one I don't have intimately connected to the text. It's an observation that I've seen in my life, a truism that I've seen in others. Each new season of life requires a new rhythm for life. Each new season of your life will almost always require a new rhythm for your life. A lot of times I've found in my own life, when I get stuck in a rut relationally with Jenny or relationally with God, it's because the season of my life changed and I didn't adjust the rhythms of my life. See, you hit major seasonal change. Some of you graduated college, and you're in this amazing group, and it's like navigators, a crusade, and all of a sudden you step out of it, and you're in a new season, and all of a sudden you're like, boom, and you're stuck in a rut, and you're like, what happened? You hit a new season, but you didn't adjust your rhythm. Some of you get married, same thing. And all of a sudden, life's flipped upside down, and then you have kids, Man, they screw up your rhythm big time. My gosh. Especially if you're a mom, and I've watched my wife do this. I mean, when she was in college, she would tell me this, and I just thought this was the coolest thing ever. She, she would go on, like, date nights with Jesus. You know, I was just like, how cool is that? What an awesome woman, you know? I mean, like, like sweet. Uh, and, and she would on like a Friday night instead of going out with a guy, which I was stoked because I wasn't dating her yet. I'm like, sweet, go out with Jesus and then, you know, go out with me. That's cool. <laughs> but she would have these times at a coffee shop that were sweet and that were intimate. And then life changes, a new season came, and we had kids. I got to tell you, when you have young kids, you have no time and no space to breathe, and your season change. And so as a result, you can't go out and do the same things. You have to adjust your rhythm. Some of you are in a space where you need to adjust your rhythms. You need to evaluate, okay, I, I've entered a new season. I just got married. I entered a new season. I entered the workforce. I entered a new season. I moved and I need to embrace a new rhythm of getting engaged and connected to Jesus. It may look a little different. For my wife, it started going, okay, I don't have hours. I have like 15 minutes. I have 10 minutes. I, I can't get up early because the minute I get up, all the kids wake up. And that doesn't work out. And my kids wake up at like 4 a.m. anyway. So I'm not going to beat them getting up early. Right? And so during the day, as the kids were asleep, she would just start putting on podcasts. And start having conversations with Jesus. Is going about a daily routine. Moving from surviving to thriving, there's four things I think begins by ordering your life with God. It's a process. Would you embrace the process? Would you set tonight? Make that clear. Set. It's your choice. Notice those conditional clauses, the ifs. If you. The question is, will you? 
And then each new season requires a new rhythm for life. Been reading a book called uh, The Circle Maker. It's really been challenging my prayer life. And uh, so I just decided he had all kinds of variations of this book, and there was like the, the Circle Maker um, handbook, and there was the Circle Maker 40-day challenge, and the Circle Maker for your pets. Um, there wasn't, but there should be. And the Circle Maker 40-day challenge, I just bought them all just because it's like, okay, I'm really being challenged. Let me just hear what this guy has to say about prayer. It's by a guy named Mark Batterson. And by the way, I don't agree with all that he's saying, but it's really, I've prayed deeper than I've ever prayed. I've prayed more fervently, and uh, my love for him, Jesus, that is not Mark Batterson, um, (laughs) has grown. And I'm trusting him for more. Came across this story. Rodney Gypsy Smith was born on the outskirts of London in 1860. He never received a formal education, yet he lectured at Harvard. Despite his humble origins, he was invited by two sitting presidents, uh, United States presidents, to the White House. Gypsy crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times, preaching the gospel to millions of people. And he never preached without someone coming to know Jesus. Gypsy was powerfully used of God everywhere he went. few people gathered around this unlikely person, this person that had all the wrong circumstances around him. He was born in the wrong place to the wrong family, and yet God did incredible things through him. And they asked, so what is it? If we want to have a life like your life, how do we go about doing that? If we want to see God do in us and through us what he's doing in you and through you, how in the world do we begin doing that? He gave them this advice. Go home. Lock yourself in your room. Kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. He said, go home. He understood that fruitfulness is determined by your connectedness to Jesus. In your hands, or you're given a little piece of chalk, and I don't know where mine went, so I don't have one anymore. I'd like to invite you to do exactly what he asked others to do. Where you take that piece of chalk with you and just use it as this reminder that connectedness determines fruitfulness, not your circumstance. And you'd keep it everywhere with you and you would in fact begin to pray fervently, brokenly, persistently to God and say, God, I long for you to start something in me and I'm not leaving until you do. You know, at Awakening, we have a mission that is way bigger that we could never accomplish. It's, we believe we exist to awaken this generation to new life. In our intro class earlier, someone asked, well, how are you going to do that? 
The only way we will ever do that is when we as a community take a little piece of chalk and draw a circle around us and we pray fervently and brokenly for God to do and make and have an awakening in us. Would you? Would you step? Would you step into that type of relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. God, as we just talk about this, um, there, there is a wrestling, and the wrestling is surrender. Will I surrender everything to you? And, and God, I just pray, because there's a wrestling match in people's hearts of that exact thing, and that is going to be the tipping point one way or the other from sur- moving to surviving or moving to thriving. So God, I pray that each person in this room would take a step towards you, that they would surrender their lives to you, that they would, they would call upon you and that you would meet them. They would experience you and your heart and your life and that you would create a revival and awakening in our hearts and you would awaken this generation as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.